0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes.
1: And welcome everyone, all of you, Intentional Spirits. You know, I the as the years go by, the more and more I really love the title of this show, Intentional Spirits, People Who Are beyond just the list of good intentions, but are making choices and changes in their lives, working towards the evolution of their consciousness, as well as impacting others through modeling. And it's just beautiful to be a part of. And it's such a great experience for me to interview people from all over the world that are just their change agents. And um, I like to say that More importantly, that they are difference makers. And none other than our guest today, David McKay, he entered a Zen Buddhist monastery at the age of 29. He spent 18 years there, training and learning and being in the silence, and then realized he had a greater call to go out and apply what he had learned and what he
2: discovered to
1: the world. David, welcome to our show today. I'm delighted to have you.
2: I'm delighted also. Thank you for having me.
1: So I let's go back a, a, a ways. I I would like to visit the um the place that you were at, the what occurred uh that you decided to join a a monastery. How did that come about in your life?
2: Yeah, well, it was a total surprise uh actually. I I was raised uh middle class, lower middle class in the suburbs and you know, it was a uh, Following the path that all of my peers did towards some kind of a worldly career, and you know, I think I was a pretty normal kid actually, except for maybe you know a bit of an unusual kind of sensitivity. Um, But I was also uh, just troubled, Um, and uh, I was confused in myself and unhappy, and to the extent that I I really didn't understand that. Um, I I I felt out of sync with the world and out of sync with myself and. Um, but, I, I, you know, I just figured that was normal for people, and I was kind of having a normal experience. Uh, and then, you know, I was going along, and I, I abandoned the path that my, you know, my parents and my kind of the culture I was raised in uh, had prescribed for me and started uh, in my own very unskillful and uninformed way trying to find out why it was that I was not happy and it just seemed like there, was, there must be some way to be happy, and um, I was trying to figure it out. And just kind of one thing led to another, and I ended up meeting uh, the woman who had become my teacher. And um, when I met her, I could tell that she had something uh, that I didn't have and that I was looking for. And I felt uh, just a great calling uh, within myself to, you know, to follow her and go where she was leading and to you know, learn what, she seemed, what, it, what it seemed like she had. Um, and so, um, I was actually, you know, just kind of in the middle of my life going along, and I went to a retreat with her, and uh, essentially left the retreat uh, as a monk. And a couple of months later, I was at the monastery.
1: What a story!
0: Yeah, and you had and a,
1: a lot of experiences happen. I'm I'm sure within the within the 18 years. Did you ever question what was I thinking or
2: oh god why why <laughs> did
1: I I think I was supposed to do this or
2: yeah like every day um it was it was extremely difficult because uh, uh and your little intro implied this you know we lived in silence um you know we never went anywhere like we, uh, I was on the property for 18 years except for you know occasional trips to town you know after a while I had been there I started to you know uh, collect responsibility, and some of that responsibility would involve, you know, going to town to get groceries or something at hard a hardware store or something like that. Uh, but mostly, it was extremely focused on meditation and uh, spiritual practice, and just looking in the silence uh, at what was going on inside of me. And you know, and the way, kind of the way I, what I figured out over time is, you know, what this thing is all about is. Uh, it's designed to take away everything from me that I believed I needed to be happy. You know, so, you know, I didn't have friends, you know, no romantic relationships, uh, no music, no books, uh, no nothing really other than just uh, the food we ate and meditation and the work that we did. And so the, the intent was to take all that, away, all that away and then to find out without those things that I could be happy without those things. And so in that environment, as you can imagine, you know, it's designed to bring the kinds of things up that people are, that work really hard to avoid, you know, and, you know, obviously our society is full of distractions of almost an infinite variety, and I think a big reason for the popularity of those distractions is because it helps us to avoid the things that we need to face. And so the point of going into a monastic structure like that was to have have those things taken away and make that involuntary so that I could face the things that, um, that I needed to face. And, of course, you know, sometimes the response of that, I mean, often was gratitude. You know, I'm so grateful to be, to have this opportunity to, to look at these things and work through them and to have kind of the, like the, sort of a, I was almost forced through them by the environment. And I felt a lot of gratitude for that. But sometimes, you know, I didn't feel that way at all. I just resisted and fought it and, you know, didn't want to let go. And you know that experience that I had was the same that everybody had. There, we were all wrestling with, you know, the con- the conditioned patterns and uh, assumptions and, and things that we carried into the monastery to, to try to be free of them. And a lot of times, you know, there was a there was it was just really hard to let them go.
1: And I I really appreciate your willingness to kind of delve into it and to elaborate it you know, uh, to talk about it more. I know many a time through, you know, soon be 30 years of ministry. I tell a lot of stories related to someone um, at a monastery. But I think in general that I think we are all kind of fascinated by just the whole concept, especially people that lives in this modern 2018 world that, how can you even be detached from your computer, which we used to call uh-huh. phone, which <laughs> uh-huh. we used to call camera, which we used to call, you know, always connect, uh, be there.com? And mm-hmm. it, you know, it is fascinating to think of a group of people that coexist, that live in a space with so much silence. Um, I know here uh, with the chaplain program, That, and I I know how I felt when I went through all of my years of shamanic uh, practitioner work. When my teacher would say, well, tomorrow we're going to be, you know, spending a, a, all day in the silence, I would immediately start talking. I would start talking like this, and then I would start talking like this, and let me tell you this, and <laughs> da, 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 And then I would just get so anxious, and my anxiety, like, what would that be? Like, I can't imagine, blah, blah, blah. and I find that to be, like, for the chaplains, too. And I, now when I breathe them, I say, you, you may find that this is what is happening to you, but just let it be okay. But I can't imagine now all these years later, that it's like silence is so necessary. It's what helps with our shadow work. It's what Mm -hmm. keeps us grounded and aligned. And it's one of, it's just medicine. I can't imagine a life without intentional silence. And I've just had a little small window of it, like simple things like not listening to any music in my car or, you know, not being on the phone or, you know, those kind of things. But I crave it. But I just appreciate you're willing to share because I think I think people are intrigued by it, in awe of it, and yet I think they they don't always ask the questions like, "Well, how could that happen?" Or you know, "How is that possible?" Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 quite a quite a journey.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my experience of it, it's it from the outside, it looks a lot more uh, like strange, I think, than it does from the inside. Um, you know, if I adapted very quickly to that, and uh, the monastery where I trained also functioned as a retreat center, and so we would have people come in, uh, during the there's three seasons a year that the weather was nice, and then the winter was it was too ugly to have people come, but uh, during the three seasons, people would come and go, they'd come for like a week long retreats and uh, and you know, people would come in, and there would be an adjustment period for maybe like 24 hours, and you know, people would, would settle in, and there's you know, uh, In addition to the silence, we had other sort of unusual things that were uh, there to help us to look inward. For example, we didn't make eye contact with each other. We didn't watch other people. And then there's the whole, you know, no reading and writing or anything. So you're just kind of stuck with your own experience. And, you know, people would, you know, often feel a little bit uncomfortable with that, but it was uh, very surprising uh, how quickly that passed. And then it became, it started to feel natural. And then it started to feel really good because, you know, in that kind of environment, uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to worry about what everybody, anybody else is thinking about you. You don't have to kind of play social games with people. Um, you know, any of these kind of things which we consider to be normal in the world. And, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with those things at all. But to, to take those away, and it allows a person to just settle into their natural self. And that's, that's a beautiful thing, and it feels really, really good. And my experience over time—you know—I was there a really long time, um, and it got to be very quickly. It got to be well, this is what normal life looks like, and so uh, you know, I lost the ability to contrast my experience with other people's experiences because I was always in my own experience, and it was—it was so it felt normal, and I just I, I loved it. I mean, I adored the silence, and um, I never got tired of it. Never that was the one thing um that i never really resisted because i just it so nurtured me and you know we we're also in a you know a natural setting uh you know we're out in the country and it's it's pretty it was beautiful and so you know in addition to the silence we had all this these you know trees and this landscape and there's a little creek that went down to the bottom of the property and all those things reflect our authentic nature and so the combination between the silence And that, and then also the supports, um, there were supports in place that were there to, you know, teach us and like how to be with ourselves and how to unpack the things that were going on in our mind, you know, put all those together. And it, it really, it worked in a really profound way. And so the experience, you know, ends up my experience, I think everybody's over time ended up just being deep gratitude.
1: That's very powerful. Very powerful. So along the way, somewhere around 2014, you started getting the nudge that it was time.
2: I did, yeah. And you, time to leave, I think, is what you mean, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I did. And wow, boy, that that was, um, yeah, that was probably five or six years before I left. I started, maybe even longer, actually. Um, I started to have that sense. I assumed for probably. at least a decade, that I would be there forever and that I would die there. And there was such a powerful sort of intention in that direction that once, you know, these little, you know how it is where you just, you know, you're heading one direction, but you start to get these little niggling, you know, insights or, uh, you know, these things dropping in about potentially going another direction. It was disturbing to have those things come in. I tried to get rid of them. I resisted them. I also had a. It turned out I didn't really didn't realize this at the time, but I had a big should that was there about staying. You know that that was the correct thing for me to do, and that if I left, in some way, I would be abandoning myself or abandoning the path that I was on. And so I I fought it for years and then um, and and struggled. And there was a lot of angst as I just struggled with that. And then this amazing thing happened uh, at the end, where. Um, I was struggling, 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 and I just couldn't—I couldn't find my way through to a place of clarity. Uh, I, I was just because the, of that conflict I'm describing inside. And um, one day, we had this. The monastery was way out in the country in California, and it was uh, beyond the, the edge of the monastery property. There were these uh, country roads that went for miles, and I spent hours and hours and hours down there on the on the time that we had, you know, off from work. And one day I was down there, it was a Sunday afternoon, which was the time that we had to do that, and I was just walking along. And it's just one of those miraculous things where it just suddenly shifted. And all that resistance fell away, and I, I realized that I had been resisting where my life was calling me to go. And uh, after that, was really easy. And it was one of those things. Going to the monastery was the same way, actually. I, you know, like I said, it was it was a surprise. I never intended for that to happen. Certainly wasn't anything my family was predicting or anybody that I knew. Um, but when it when it showed up, there was no question. I, you know, I like to say I never made a decision to go there. I just went. It was just so obvious. And the thing that I I think the thing that I was waiting for as I was struggling with the, this. Uh, calling to leave was I wanted to have that same experience as I left because I knew that I would, that's what I would rely on for the rest of my life, you know, because if I left the monastery in a place of clarity, knowing that I truly was called to do that and I wasn't being called away from the work that I had to do, um, if I had that certainty, then I would rely on that the rest of my life and I I wasn't willing to leave without it. And then that just, it just happened. And, And it's very little sweet way it wasn't big you know It wasn't dramatic or you know fireworks or anything, any of that kind of thing it was just this little sweet thing where it suddenly shifted and I just knew and as I predicted that's what's happened I since I left the monastery it's been magical uh what's happened and um I think it's because I was able to leave in that place and I I've never looked back I don't doubt that decision at all
1: what a rich amazing
2: life it really is, and it continues. You know, it's boy. I'm, I mean, I'm right smack dab in the middle of it. And uh, I had a, you know, there's a lot of there's this thing I, I call conditioned mind. You know, it's these. Uh, I, you, I'm sure you have your own language for talking about it. Um, you know, it's these set of assumptions and um, behaviors and beliefs that we were taught to believe when we were kids. You know, that, that from you know for people who are not aware of them will. It will determine where they go in their life and the decisions they make and the preferences they have and all those kinds of things. And uh, you know, it's working through all of those things is is the way to the the place of you know union and that's where the magic happened. And uh, yeah, there's a skill that that it, that happens right there. And um, I've been privileged to be able to devote a large part of my life to looking into that and honing that skill. And I I think one of those pieces of of conditioned mind that I had before I left was some kind of idea that when I left the monastery, my practice would dissolve or I would get confused or, you know, I'd lose, you know, the the self-love, which for me is central to this whole thing the self-love that had happened for me there and that has not been the case at all it i it's been really expansive and i've been able to uh to have different kinds of challenges and opportunities than I, that were available to me there for example you know a different kinds of work experiences intimate relationship these kinds of things and they've all they've all helped me to grow in a way that wouldn't have been possible to me there so anyway it's uh yeah, it's it can it continues to unfold, and I continue. to feel like I'm in the same process, just inside a different content.
1: I love the um, title of your book and your your website, and I I can't wait for us to delve into that, um, the one open door. And for those of you that are tuning in, go to the one open door org so you can not only look at the book, but know more about David and follow his tremendous work. So how did the book come about?
2: Well, I actually uh, started writing. I got permission from my teacher to to begin to write a book at the monastery. We had to get permission for everything. Um, And so she, but she supported it. And I, you know, worked on it here and there as I was going through. um, And it never really turned, it never, I mean, I I finished it like five times, uh, you know, how that goes. Uh, and but it never really got to a point where it was you know just felt ready to put out into the world, uh, and then I left uh, and hesitated actually for about a year and a half. Um, I felt unsure and unclear. I, I felt extremely qualified to uh, to offer spiritual practice to people because uh, a part of the training that I that I received was uh, as a you know. Um, I learned how to do one-on-one work with people. I learned how to do group work. You know, I facilitated hundreds of retreats uh, at the monastery. Um, but I I felt, you know, I just was unsure if that's what I was called to do. And, it's, you know, I look at it as a tremendous responsibility to uh, to put myself in a position of, you know, offering support for people who are trying to end suffering. Um, so I hesitated for a while. And then after a while, it just, uh, it just felt like that was the thing to do. And then... That's when I decided I was going to try to put the, put the book together. So most of it was written at the monastery, actually, uh, and I, I changed very little. I did add uh, a bit at the end about my departure, just so I could kind of finish the story.
1: I love, in looking at your website as well, at theopendoor.org, as well as the cover of your book. I love that you say, may we all be free from suffering. May we be happy. May we find our way and live in peace. That that understanding alone, if it were the common thread in everything, well, it wouldn't take long for things to quickly change or shift or, or just to be uh, perceived in a different way. But my curiosity is, with the, both the book and the way you present yourself, there's no face, there's no eyes, there's no mouth, there's no ears. What is that?
2: for well boy that's a that's a very perceptive question um, it's uh, it's something I've looked at a lot for myself um, mm-hmm. you know we live in a world from what I can tell um, of self-promotion you know even down to you know you have to have what do they call it you have your your personal brand um, you know so there's a lot of per, of uh, self-promotion going on and I don't think that necessarily in itself is problematic but um, you know for me, the center of a life that is truly happy and uh, truly at peace is one is a uh, a realization that I am not this person who I believe myself to be, mm. uh, and what I mean by that is the, the way that I was taught to believe that I am. So you know a, a part of our social conditioning, you know, so the way that we're trained to live in society, is that we become a somebody. I'm putting kind of quotes around that word. We become a somebody, and that somebody has certain uh, perceptions, certain uh, opinions, um, habits, these kinds of things, and that somebody is designed to fit into the context that that person grows up in. So you know, if you born into a certain family, then you're going to become a certain somebody in order to fit into that family. And, and then, a, you know, there's other, that, that somebody will be sort of fine-tuned in order to fit into the larger culture that you are, you know, are raised into. And that's how we're all, we call kind of like fit together in, inside a culture. And so there's a certain, you know, efficacy with that. But uh, the trouble is that we we think that's who we really are. I mean, I guess perhaps I should just uh, speak for myself because it's hard to know really what's going on with other people. But no, uh, I couldn't least...
1: agree. I couldn't agree with you more. We oh, okay. are programmed um, from early on. I'm I'm right there with you, and you know, mm-hmm. part of what we do in conscious thinking, whether it's unity or the centers for spiritual living or what we call new thought, though there's nothing new about it. It means the new thought that we have unto ourselves. Is that part of that? Is that We are, from early on, we're trained by our environment, our culture, um, depending on who our teachers were, the experiences that we had. I couldn't agree with you. I I mean, I agree with you so much that we are taught to be somebody, and often the missing in that is the knowing that I could have been anybody. (laughs) And the missing within that is that I actually have a body, And I was created to be a human being. And in the depth of that, it's like I am really here to be unique and original. But we are so programmed so early in life. You know, you've got to wear the right style clothes. And boys do that. Girls don't do that. You know, these are pigs. This is that. We eat this. We don't eat that. We do this. We, we've got to run, get under our desk because we could have a bomb, you know, goodness forbid, or the end of the world could come or we're so, uh, to me programmed to be less than, um, to give power to so many other things outside of ourselves. And it is still going on in 2018, you know, oh, absolutely. Um,
2: it's As much as time and
1: time again, and so Mm -hmm. many different experiences of uh, people remaining diminished. You got to have this kind of shot. You have to have this. It's uh, that mass reality of training people that by yourself, it just can't happen. You know, you got to have this and that, uh, good, bad or indifferent. So I love what you're standing for and would like to see more people be captivated by the very nature of how cool would it be if everybody knew that they were original and they didn't give their power away to everything and everyone.
2: Oh, totally. Yeah, I am so with you. Yeah, and the other thing that I see about it is, you know, inside that somebody, um, you know, there's some fundamental assumptions that are not true, that are self-destructive. You know, we believe within that somebody, we believe we're not okay, you know, that we're not adequate to our experience. We're not the person we should be, you know, and, you know, we're too much of this or not enough of that or those kinds of things. And unfortunately, you know, f- folks who believe in the reality of that somebody, and, um, you know, it sure appears like that's most people um, suffer because of that. And it's not anything real. You know, there's nothing real in that. Those are just some, some things that were put there to help us to conform, uh, you know, to the family and society. And, it's you know, it's sad to, to think about, you know, a person being... Uh, trapped inside that uh, that reality that is not a reality that that's like as you're saying that's limited and you know it's it's not creative it's not spontaneous um, it's not expansive and um, it's also not necessary the whole thing is not necessary because it's not real it's not who we are so the reason uh, and I'm I'm actually uh, to be you know fully kind of transparent with you I'm in process with this with the uh, in terms of like the website and how I present myself because I you know. I want to attempt to represent what I do, and what I do is what I, you know, what I try to offer to people is what I do myself in terms of my own practice. That seems to me. I'm sure you feel the same way, I'm sure. You know, it's the only way. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's the only way a person who is attempting to make a stand for uh, the possibility of transformation can do it with integrity. Is You know, you have to do what you're, what you're uh, advocating for. And so, you know, uh, I made an intentional decision uh, not to name the website, uh, not to put my name in it. Um, so I could have done something in a McKay dot something or davidmckay.something. So I would not to do that for that reason and, and put the, uh, the one open door. It, to me, it suggests, it suggests the possibility that we all have, and I believe that we all have that possibility of, of uh, opening up to who we really are and getting past this social conditioning. Oh, I couldn't agree
1: with you. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I'm grateful for all of you that are tuning in and listening. Um, You're welcome to call in and actually talk to David personally and ask him some questions. It's a great opportunity. 816-251-3555. 816-251-3555. We'll be right back after this short break. Thank you for being with us.
0: Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
1: It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listeners like you to support our broadcasts that send our messages out to an awakening world. Go to UnityOnlineRadio.org and click on Donate Today.
2: Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Eric Butterworth taken from the live lecture, A Course in Practical
0: Metaphysics. Emily Cady, in her Lessons in Truth, makes a statement which I think we need to kind of think about a little bit. She says, God is not a being with qualities or attributes. But he is the good itself coming into expression as life love power wisdom etc he is the good itself coming into expression
2: as life love power and wisdom in other words and this again is is shattering to some of us god is not loving Ah, god is a loving god god is not loving because the moment we talk about god is loving we've got the anthropomorphic michelangelo like god sitting up in a crowd somewhere with his heart beaming out, say, oh, I love you all down here so, you're so dearly, as long as you're good. But I'm not going to love you very much if you don't go to church and so forth. God is not loving. God is love. To find out more about Eric Butterworth, visit unity.org.
0: Join your favorite spiritual teachers for the most extraordinary Fest of the year, November 2nd through 5th at the Celebrate Your Life Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. This transformational weekend event features some of the world's leading spiritual new thought leaders, including Marianne Williamson, Neil Donald Walsh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Caroline Mace, Greg Graydon, Denise Lynn, and more. Unity listeners save an additional $75 off with coupon code UNITY. Visit CelebrateYourLifeEvents.com. That's CelebrateYourLifeEvents.com and register today.
1: If you have struggled with low self esteem and body acceptance, it's time to experience radical self love with Dr. Ramdesh and the Body Temple. Every Thursday at 4 p.m. Central, Ramdesh guides you to live a more empowered life. Gain a deeper love and acceptance of yourself through yoga and meditation techniques. Listen in as fascinating guests join the show to share their wisdom and help you on your spiritual journey. Join the show with your question or comment here on unityonlineradio.org.
0: Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit with Reverend Temple Hayes.
1: And welcome back, everyone. I'm talking to David McKay. A Buddhist monk living in a monastery for many years in his life, uh, freeing himself from that reality to the reality of freeing himself from living in everyday life since 2014. And we are talking about his book, The One Open Door. And that is the same as his website, the oneopendoor.org. I appreciate all of you tuning in and I appreciate so many of you that have been with me for soon be seven years. Thank you for sharing our shows with your friends, your neighbors, your family. Really appreciate it. And letting us know who you would like to have interviewed on the show. So David, um, you were like in the throes of, you know, writing this book and, um, what were some of the key components that you felt after your 18 years in a monastery shedding yourself of who I was designed to be to more of an opening to who I am destined to be? What is, what would you say are some of your learnings or what are some of those measurable things that when people get the book, um, they're going to benefit from.
2: Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, the book is—it uh, tells my story, um, but the in similar way to what we were just talking about the website. Uh, I mean, it's full of me, but the intention of it is to, uh, uh, my story was to provide a, a framework for presenting the tools that I learned. And there's a there is a very particular set of practical tools uh, that are that I learned. I, the word I really am enjoying lately is technology. It's sort of like a spiritual technology because that implies something that really is practical and useful. Um, so there's these particular tools I learned, and what the tools do is, they. Um, so when I went to the monastery, and I think this is a universal experience when people start off in whatever kind of spiritual work that they, you know, feel called to do, you know, what was going on inside of my mind was just gobbledygook. You know, I could not see anything that was going on in there. Um, it was just uh, a mess, and I could see that I was uh, reacting and responding in ways that I wasn't choosing. Uh, but I couldn't see how the, the, the choice was being made, and I couldn't see how I was being excluded from that choice. And so, for example, some of the things, you know, the most, on the most basic level is uh, it's just our self-talk. You know, so we have, there's a conversation going on in our mind all the time. Um, we tend to believe that's me thinking, you know, this, this stuff that's going on between my ears. That's me thinking, but it isn't, at least from my point of view. That's conditioned mind talking, and so these there's this conversation happening and through the conversation there's a, a a the conversation is backed up by some unexamined beliefs that we have that we're all taught about you know who i am what the world is that kind of thing and uh you know so the the beliefs are driving the conversation and the and the conversation collects into like stories about me and what and what's happening and and con- through that conversation conditioned mind is taking everything that I'm experiencing and packaging it into me, you know, like into my perception, uh, my perspective, or... um, you know, so, you know, somebody, for example, uh, like at the monastery, uh, we sat, uh, when we ate our meals, we didn't sit like most people do, like around a table facing each other, we all sat facing out. So there were benches around on the outside of the meditation hall, and the food was in the middle, and you would go to... or the uh, dining hall, rather. You go to the table and get your food, and you sit on a bench facing out, facing a wall, with the idea that you know while we're eating, we're still practicing meditation. And then somebody would come along and like you know, sit beside me, and you know we didn't talk to each other, so there's no actual relationship there. But you know I could tell supposedly by the way that they were acting or the way they chewed their food that they didn't like me, <laughs> you know, or these kinds of things. And right, the, right, that mind going on. <laughs> Totally, yeah. And that was what was so useful about the environment is that it just put a mirror up in front of me because it was obvious that there wasn't anything happening on the outside. It was only happening in me. Um, so anyway, so uh, there's, so we, we end up living in this reality, and, and this conversation creates a reality like that. Like, I am somebody, you know, people don't like me, and here's why, and, you know, all these kinds of things that all of us struggle with on a regular basis. And the tools that I learned... Um, uh, I mentioned a couple of simple ones. There's a couple more. There, it, the whole thing is actually quite simple, but it, it gave me a way to look into the gobbledygook and start to see the patterns, and to see that okay, that's that's what that is. That's designed to pull my attention over here. That story is designed to cause me to feel a certain way and act in a certain way with this kind of consequence that then I'll feel bad about, for example. And so, and those within the book. Uh, you know, and within the thread of the story, I actually present those tools and uh, and you know offer them to the extent that you can in that medium. You you know it's uh, it's more powerful to uh, you know work with someone actually in their own experience through a conversation, but it is possible to, to like pick up the tools just through a description of them like that.
1: I love how you put that in it. It's certainly ways that you know we've reflected upon. Uh, many of us, I love that you're calling it, it, it's not your mind thinking it, it's the conditioned mind. Yeah. And that, a- and, and the being the ob- observer of that, uh, because these thoughts are just flowing all the time, but we are the ones that are the directors deciding which ones are we going to take on, which ones are we going to elaborate on. And I that's pretty cool that there's, other than eating, there's just really nothing going on, and there's no conversation, and yet the conditioned mind is going, I don't think he likes me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, it must it's have funny, did something wrong yeah. somehow. And it,
2: you know, it's, and, in, <laughs> in, in, in the world where there's not that kind of reflection, it seems real. It's like, well, that person really doesn't like me, but that's, that's you know, that's never the case. I mean, it may be the case that you know, there actually is a person out there who doesn't like me, but in terms of my experience, that really doesn't matter you know all that matters is my own relationship with myself and my own perception of myself and that's what i really got at the monastery you know and there's a there's a freedom in that because i no longer need to feel compelled to relate to the world and look to the world for validation or other people to, for validation or for a sense of who i am or for a sense of purpose or anything like that because it's all it's all in here and to get that that you know i am a self almost kinda like a a self-contained entity who at the same time is absolutely not a somebody and intricately connected with, you know, sort of life with a capital L, you know, kind of this mystery that is managing all this and orchestrating all this that we can't really understand. That's, that's a powerful place of freedom, uh, you know, uh, to practice and to, act, to attempt to act within, you know, once you kind of get that that's the way it's set up.
1: And to just be free from the fact that we aren't missing anything. We aren't missing anyone.
2: Yeah, totally. Well, and, you know, when we're in conditioned mind, we are. You know, but it's an illusion. You know, like when I'm in, I'll speak for myself, when I'm in conditioned mind, you know, I feel separate. I feel I do believe
1: we have a call coming in. Oh, okay, great. We have Margie Norris with us. Hey, Margie. Hello. Hello. Jeff. Do you Okay. All right. Well. Okay. Maybe she'll call back, uh, Margie. Okay. Yeah. If you're listening, call us back. We want to talk to you. Okay. So back to that.
2: Sorry. Yeah. What I was <laughs> What I was saying is, uh, you know, if we're if we're inside of conditioned mind and we're living in all those assumptions and we're we're believing that that's me thinking and we're we're absorbed in the conversation, we are separate and we're not we're not getting we're not having the life that we're here to live. You know, because we're living in this very small world where there's, you know, I'm at the center of the universe and there's something wrong with me. But if you like stepping out of conditioned mind, and I, I really, I struggled with this for a long time to really get that this was the case. But there is something that's me that's not conditioned mind. You know, I, the word, the phrase I like best, you, you would call it anything you want, but the phrase I like best is uh, authentic nature. You know, there's, there's this thing that this, it, there's a me that is not a conditioned me, but is authentic and when I am sort of identified with that instead of identified with the false somebody who I was taught to be then life works you know because what's there is love and connection and a sense of peace and well-being even when the circumstances are not going the way that some part of me feels like they should be going and that's I feel like is the possibility that's offered in awareness practice is seeing the difference between those two you know really getting what this who this somebody is that's not me Learning how to, to, to step out of that uh, through that awareness and then align myself with this this mysterious thing that I actually am and then you know through that also connection connecting to uh, divinity and to uh, like to the kind of like the, the life that I'm called to live.
1: So give us another, uh, your concepts are very intriguing and, and, and spot on, and I love that you refer to them as simple, because to me, that's, that's part of where we are now, is that we are determined to make things so super complicated.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally.
1: <laughs> right? So yeah. the more simple, the better, the more mm-hmm. stripped down, the more acceptable to allow and those kind of things um, mm-hmm. what's another se- uh, concept that you highlight in the in the book
2: well here's here's one I'll, I, this is the one that comes to mind because this is the one that's been most central to me and has been the heart of my own in personal work is getting past the the language that was used for at the monastery was self hatred uh, you could call it self judgment self criticism um, and it was it, the let me explain what I mean by that it's it's Partly, it is this. There's this mechanism inside that is always self-referencing, and you know, trying to um, it, it it creates the illusion that I'm not the person I should be. But on in a larger aspect, it's the uh, it's the part of the the system. I think of conditioned mind kind of like as a machine. It's a it's, it's it doesn't have life force. It doesn't have real intelligence. It just kind of responds. Um, according to the stimuli that comes in, uh, that's always produced a, a particular result. And the particular result is a sense of separation and isolation and then you know, the, the suffering that goes from that uh, isolation, which includes you know, fear and a sense of deprivation and all these kinds of things. And so as a machine, and, and I, you know, learning how to look at the mind as a machine that has that product, you know, then we, we can start to take it apart. You know, like, you know, if you if you don't know how the machine works that runs your car, you can't do anything to to, to fix it when it's broken. But if you understand how the, what all the parts are and how they work together, then you can take it apart and put it back together. So it's the same kind of thing in the mind. And so the part of the machine, from what I can see, the part of the machine that holds the whole thing together and keeps us from really catching on to what's happening is this thing called self-hatred. Because anything that is uh, is happening is going to be uh, and happening to me is going to mean something about me ultimately. When it when it run, runs through the machine, that is that is negative about me, and the effect of that is it's going to make me self conscious. So I'm going to be looking at myself to see what's wrong with me and how to fix that. And you know, you probably see you know people doing that all over the place. I mean, that's a lot of where people's energy goes is trying of to figure course, out what's wrong Of course, the because
1: energy. then I'm going to be distracted. And if I'm as exactly. distracted and I make it about something external, then I become yep. vulnerable. And yep. if I'm vulnerable, you can pretty much sell me anything because I want it, because I'm coming from the space that I don't have and I need yeah. and I yeah. it's got to happen to me for me to be yeah, OK. So, yeah, I absolutely, absolutely. I am. It is such a. It's the kind of thing, I, I know you feel it in your heart. I feel it in my heart. I, I w- wish you could just, through a handshake, give it away to people.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> you
1: know, that they really get that I am enough. I and totally. I have I have a source. And I am going to really assess and be the gatekeeper. I'm going to be that one open door that you talk mm-hmm. about, the one open door in your mm-hmm. book. And I am going to look at what's coming in and why is it in there and what does it really mean mm-hmm. instead of just this immediate mama trauma drama mm-hmm. you know this a, a addictive kind of cycle of bring it on um and and it it's the same way I I see it on the subtitles of of the news it It's like if there's a reprieve. So we had a moment. So, okay, there was all this drama. We had a moment. It got real quiet. Oh, but you have no idea the sharks are going to take over the world. Uh (laughs) I mean, they're just going to probably eat everybody in Florida. Oh, my God. And we have proof of that because, you know, somebody got bit in 1935, 1967, and 1983. You know, it's just, it's fascinating to me, this continuous training in a cage that we live in and call it freedom of humanity when it's, it's anything, but so anything true.
2: But. Yeah. And it's hard to watch. I'm sure sure. I bet you have this experience. It was just hard to watch knowing how unnecessary it is, you know, and it's crazy to think that we were, we're taught, we were taught to be afraid of our authentic nature because when we were kids, we were punished for being ourselves. You know, that's, the basic thing that happened in our social conditioning, we had to learn to not be who we really are, so that we could conform to this world that is entangled in conditioned mind. Because of course, and what you're saying is really implies this as well. It's you know the the condition the conditioned mind that is operating in each individual is manifest at large in our society. You know the way our society operates, it operates with exactly the same structures and the same um, processes that are going on in, in each in each of our individual mind. And, yeah, anyway, it's, it's sad to, to see that and to know how unnecessary it is because it's just a perception. You know, it's just an assumption. I assume there's something wrong with me. But, of course, there isn't. There isn't anything wrong with anybody. That's just what we are taught to help us to conform. And as you're, as you're saying, you know, in, in addition to that, it makes us really good consumers and so on
1: that's where it all goes isn't it
2: (laughs) yeah yeah the thing for me um i also often have that fantasy you know i wish we could just you know give people a pill or you know something and then suddenly they would everybody would just wake up to this but in terms of my own experience the the thing one of the things i feel most grateful for actually is being required to go through this process that I have and it's still going on I mean I'm, I never try to pretend in any way I'm any kind of finished product because it would just be untrue you know I, I'm in the middle of my work as everybody else is but the you know the, to what extent I have done the work that I need to do in this life uh, you know I feel really grateful for that process because it has required me to be the best person that I can be because anything short of that is not going to work because these processes are so powerful and so invisible And um, it just takes a tremendous amount of work and practice to be able to bring the light of awareness onto these processes. And like you you just said, I think, to bring them into the light of day where we can actually see them for what they are, let them go, and then step towards our actual destiny.
1: That was very powerful. (laughs) Well, that's why people like you and me and other leaders and teachers and authors, we just keep showing up because we know that we are planting seeds that ultimately we know that those bamboos are going to grow. You know, I I think of it sometimes, and that's what I liken it to, an ordinary plant versus the bamboo. You know, the ficus, you see it growing right away, just Mm -hmm. really takes off. And that bamboo, you just keep waiting and waiting and waiting until it does shoot up. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm holding. That's what I'm holding for our for our world is that those bamboo shoots are going to shoot up because we've been planting them for a long time and, uh, nurturing them and giving them water and talking about being awake and the value of that and the importance of that. And it, yeah, it, it, I sometimes find it fascinating. I do. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, I know that I can see that there's progress being made and I, I can see evolution. I can see the new millennials actually taking apart and not Mm -hmm, buying into mm -hmm. all the untruths. But Mm -hmm. I'm still fascinated at so many people that sit in front of a TV or in in front of a written piece of paper and buy it as law as, well, that's because what they said. Well, that, Mm -hmm. that's what they said, you know, or, Mm -hmm. or put pills in their mouths and, well, because they told me to, who, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's the they? And how do you know them? I met them for the first time, and they gave me a pill that said maybe fatal, but I'm going to take it because they told me to. <laughs>
2: exactly. Like, yeah, it's amazing. It's like, oh, my
1: gosh. Them. Back when I was a kid driving around to buy some of these drugs, I would be arrested, and so was the person giving them to me. Now I just go <laughs> in a clinic. It's like, please, let's get a grip here. You know, let's get a grip. Let's get real.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I choose to be optimistic, actually, because, uh, you know, uh, as I was saying earlier, you know, it just seems, and this was kind of the big revelation I had as I left the monastery um, uh, about the world. Because at the monastery, we didn't, I had no contact with it. You know, we didn't hear the news. I didn't hear the news for 18 years. So Mm -hmm. I had really very little idea of what was going on. Um, But when I came out, I started interacting with that and starting to see, like, how things are going, you know, what's happening out there. And it became really clear, as I said before, that, well, what's happening out there, that's the same thing as what's going on inside my own head. There's no difference. It's just only a difference in scale. Absolutely. The the reason I I feel optimistic is because I've seen uh, it's possible to change that in myself. I mean, my life, I mean, I was a very unhappy young man, full of self-hatred and self-judgment when I began, when I went to the monastery, uh, crippled by it almost, afraid of everything. And I had no longer lived in that world. Um, and so I I know the power of bringing awareness to these things and, and, and bringing them to the light of day. And I know that there's a place of choice because I've experienced it over and over and over again. And because I can see that in myself and because the world is set up uh, in exactly the same way as my own mind, I feel confident that we can do it as a, a whole as a whole human family um, that we can do that same thing and we can transcend this level of unconsciousness and just the entanglement with conditioning that 's going on because of course that 's the thing that 's causing the, the, the just the awfulness and you know the prejudice and the unfairness and the violence and everything else that's going on out there it 's just conditioned mind operating, and i feel I feel because I, I can I see for myself how that's possible. I feel like we can do it as a, as a whole species. I don't know when. I don't think it's going to be time soon, actually. But I feel like we're heading there. I, think, I feel like that's the place we're evolving towards.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I've never been as excited about the times as I am right now because everything
2: mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. up. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing time to live. It, it really, cares.
1: it is. It's it's up, and it is where uh, people are thinking for themselves, and people are waking up, and they're having opinions, and thank mm-hmm. heavens, people are having mm-hmm. opinions,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: and they're questioning, and they're and they're pondering. And mm-hmm. you know, we I always go back to what Ralph Waldo Emerson said in the late eighteen hundreds. You know, don't just take in everything about the news is fact because the news is, is particularly designed to drive you in a certain direction. And I, I'm so with you on that. And it's so complex for people to buy that, that the news doesn't state the report of the world. It Mm -hmm. reports a few things of the, you know, of the 10 of the, even the 5%, I'm just making this up, but the five or the 10% When 90% of the world is just moving along, neighborhoods are loving each other, people are collaborating, things are happening, um, people are, are focusing on hunger and supporting the causes, and organizational groups are being formed, and yeah, thank you for bringing that to the surface. As you know, I'm talking with David McKay today, and his book is The One Open Door. Go to his website, theoneopendoor.org. Knowing that you enjoy these types of conversations, please join me at com for various travel opportunities or experiences or my blog, as well as firstunity.org. You can watch some of our messages on YouTube. We're, we're aligning with exactly the kind of great teaching that David is sharing today. David, give us a, a final reality check here.
2: Um, what I would offer to people is just just be yourselves. Be who you really are. And there's a way to do it. Um, it takes work, it takes dedication, it takes practice, but um, there's a way to do it. And uh, it's the most beautiful thing that could possibly happen in a person's life. And one of the things that,
1: that you said, because the opening on your website, may we all be free from suffering. And I I think that sometimes, you know, when we say certain things, and I I say them too, so I'm not picking on you, please. Um, But like, you know, you just just really want to like who you are and you want to like yourself. I think that what I would say about that is I would say that if you are ongoing with your suffering, I think that's a telltale. I think that David would tell us if there is a consistent I'm suffering that there is a need there to check and ask why and where am I off the mark with being my authentic self. What do you think, David?
2: I totally agree. You know, I was thinking about that a minute ago when you're when you're talking about, you know, the state of the world and what's happening and you know, and I, the way I look at that is, you know, I I care, I care deeply, and I'm going to do everything I can. We have a call
1: coming in. We have an Amy. Okay. Welcome, okay. Amy. Let's bring hey. her on. We have just a couple of more minutes. And we don't. Okay. We don't have- well, okay. it's been interesting. We've stirred some energy today, haven't we, David?
2: <laughs> we sure have. Yeah, it's really fun. We're
1: visualizing more and more callers calling eight one six two five one three five five five. That's exactly what's going to happen. I tell you, it's been a pleasure uh, meeting you and thank you for sharing your fascinating journey with us and, and delving deeper and explaining more about a monastery and what that looks like. And, uh, it's been great. Our, our connection. I've enjoyed it very much.
2: Likewise, It's a great pleasure, Temple. And thank you for the work you do. I, I really, uh, I'm really grateful.
1: Mm. Back at you. And God bless you, everyone, on this amazing journey that we call life. May you savor every moment and release your suffering. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
0: If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience.